Hey, podcast friends. In order to support our show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we need to learn a little bit more about you. So please go to podsurvey.com slash carbs and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great you, the belly sourcing listeners are. Even if you have taken a podcast listener survey before, this one is specific to House of Carbs. So we really need you to take this one as well. Plus, once you have completed this survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. I promise not to get any grease on it. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash carbs. C-A-R-B-S. Thank you for your help. All right, podcast pals. Very happy to tell you a little bit about our friends at Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you are currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. I will tell you, podcast pals, I have them on right now. They are hardworking. They are performance wear. I'm not afraid to wear them to the gym. I will change out of them after I wear them to the gym. I'm not afraid to wear them all to the golf course. I will change out of them after I wear them to the golf course. But I especially enjoy their line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they help eliminate odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. If you don't like your first pair, keep it. They will still refund you, no questions asked. Friends, go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your purchase using the promo code CARBS. That's C-A-R-B-S. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using promo code CARBS. All right, podcast friends, welcome back. Another edition of House of Cards, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is episode number six, my people. This food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House. Please keep up the outstanding belly sourcing. We're still getting great feedback on topics, guests, and pictures. We have another great way for you to share your bellies best with us. We have email. Please email us at houseofcarbsfans at gmail.com. I'm not going to spell it out. It's houseofcarbsfans at gmail.com. One other thing, my friends, I'm headed out to LA this week, the first ever House of Carbs road trip. Keep an eye out on the Ringer Instagram, the Ringer Twitter, my own Instagram, my Twitter, that's at House from DC. We're going to be doing lots and lots of food picture taking. There might be some short movies. There might be some longer movies. I don't want to call any of this food porn, but it might veer into that area. Pals, of course, we have another fascinating look at what is happening in the world of food via food news with the Ringer's own Juliet Littman. This week, we're tackling New York City's all bacon restaurant. We take a look at an app that purports to be able to help you understand and know what you're craving for lunch, and we look at a crazy cereal bagel. We also, as you know, friends, like to talk to friends and family in the Ringer universe. This week, again, we're not in Los Angeles, California. We're talking to Robert Mays in Chicago, Illinois, about Chicago's own delicacy, the deep dish pizza. But coming up right now, my friends, we're tackling a subject that needs much more than the 25 minutes that we're going to devote to it uh, today. Our pal Jason Gay from the Wall Street Journal coming on to talk about airport food, where it's the middle of travel season. I, my own self, about to travel. We're going to try and just scratch the surface a little bit on airport food. Let's get in that belly with Jason Gay. Jason Gay, welcome to House of Cards. 
honored is all I can say. You know, I feel like I am an original listener. You know, when you celebrate the 20th anniversary, call me. I'll tell you all about what it was like to listen to 1.0 of House of Carbs with you and Adam. (laughs) Jace, so thank you very much for joining us today. You hit us with a nice note very early on and said, look, I uh, have a view here. I think this is Jason speaking that no food industry has changed more over the last 10 years than airport food. And, you know, it got the wheels spinning over here at House of Carbs. We uh, are right in the middle, as I mentioned, of of, uh, travel season. It's summer travel season. What made you, you know, give me your your sort of inspiration for this observation on on the food industry and, and, and food courts at airports. Okay, look, I mean, I think we can agree on a few things here. One is that airport travel is, you know, an incredible common experience. You know, we all kind of share what it's like to travel by air and our frustrations with the industry. But there are a few cultural forces that are at work here, House, in terms of airport dining. One is just the general rise of food culture in America, which is something that you talk about all the time on House of Carbs, just the growing interest of the population in well-prepared, locally sourced food, fast, casual, and so on, that's available in virtually every American city now. But the second thing, and this is a huge thing, is airport security. You've got to get to the airport earlier than ever. People are now getting to the airport two to three hours in advance of domestic flights, which is really crazy. So you have this captive audience, which, you know, predictably is hungry. Um, and then the last thing, House, the airplane is not going to feed you anymore. I mean, the days of, uh, of uh, you know, full-service dining, even in business class, are pretty much done. You know, maybe they'll sell you a turkey wrap or one of those terrible snack pack things with the salami and the two grapes, the wedge of cheese, the ping pong ball, but that's it. You know, even the, you know, even the good airlines aren't good anymore. And, you know, I just feel like this is one of the places in America that has just gotten radically better. My question for you has to throw it right back at you. What is your uh, standard in terms of bringing onto an airplane? You know, because you're in a confined space. There are odors. Uh, there's a certain amount of decorum that's expected even in 2017 in shared air travel. Uh, what is something that you won't bring onto an airplane in terms of a, uh, eating experience? So this is going to be a fun conversation because I'm going to ask you your own strategy for how you go about eating in connection with travel. Here, here is my breaking news. I don't eat when I fly. And really? there, there's there's kind of two reasons for it. Well, I, here are the limit the limited circumstance under which I will eat in connection with travel is if I arrive at an airport early in the morning and I'm hungover and I have to have something to survive the flight. That's really the only yeah. limited experience under which I will go ahead and, and take on calories as part of the travel exercise. The real thrust for my uh, strategy boils down to this. Wherever I'm going has a place or, or many places that I know that I want to eat at, like brick and mortar. And so I don't want to use up any of my calories of the day on a, on a fast exercise. Even though, you know, now we're going to cover this a little bit, the options inside the airport are so, uh, there, there's a huge number of options and the food is delectable. I don't want to use calories that way. My my daily calorie intake, if I know that I'm going, I'm about to get on the airplane, I'm going to land somewhere where there's going to be great food. I'd rather go to the place where the great food is. Yeah. Let's start naming names, Jason. Let me hear some experiences in terms of airports and or restaurants that, that you might tell the people about that you've had good experiences with. Okay. Well, you know, I'm based here in New York at the Wall Street Journal, and everyone loves to rave in New York City about the Shake Shack and the big new terminal four at yeah, with, JFK Yeah, with good reason. Airport. With good um, reason. But keep going, please. It, it is a beautiful Shake Shack. Uh, there are now two of them, however. And so the pro move, Mr. House, is you need to go to the late one. You don't go to the first Shake Shack you see in Terminal 4. That's the amateur move. It's got a big line. You're probably going to be there for 20 minutes. Uh, there's one about halfway down, which is twice as big and is always less busy. Uh, that's the move there. And across from it, if you're not in the Shake Shack kind of mood, there's a Danny Meyer Blue Smoke, uh, which is, in addition to being relatively good airport barbecue, which I know is a low standard, is also a pretty good cocktail bar. Oh. Uh, so I think that's 
that is a uh, a, a nice stop. Um, you know, I, I have a few preferences, you know, elsewhere in the country. You know, one of the places that I really love going is, I uh, used to be in LAX. There was, uh, I'm not afraid to say this, there was a wonderful airport Chili's. I'm not afraid of an airport Chili's house. Uh, but they replaced it. They went upgraded to a Campanile. And, you know, it, it made me sad. It, it made me cry a little bit. You know, I want my margaritas and my chips and I you know the fancy food options they're, they're abundant everywhere else I don't need it in the airport necessarily um, in Houston in the Houston airport I don't know the name of the place but there's a place where you can get a frozen margarita to go which I think what? is illegal yeah I, you're I allowed to walk around in the airport with a margarita with a margarita no no the, the move is two you two margaritas <laughs> one to have <laughs> While you're waiting in the airport, and then the second to have when you're on the flight itself, um, you know, because there are those times, you know, especially at the end of a of a trip, you know, if you're coming off a long, drudgy sporting event or something like that, you know, the the trip home, you know, all the sort of, um, you know, proclamations about no drinking at airplanes and stuff like that all goes out the window. Um, Atlanta. Chick-fil-A, of course, you know, there's yes. a whole bunch of Chick-fil-A's in the ATL airport. Um, <laughs> um, Dallas, not yes. a bad place for airport barbecue. Austin has a salt lick. Yeah. Which you can imagine. I've seen pales this. In comparison. It pales in comparison to the actual salt lick right. uh, out there in the hills, but it's not so bad. My buddy Kevin Sintemong, who writes for Esquire, um, is a big fan of the Vino Volo chain. I don't know if you're familiar with the Vino Volo chain. Um, so I, I've, I've enjoyed a vino and some charcuterie at the Vino Volo. Yeah, so you get yourself you know, a little bit of vino and some charcuterie. Kevin claims... They'll even find you some Pappy Van Winkle, which I find shocking. I don't know what that means. You're spending like 230 bucks for a, you know, a, a Pappy Van Winkle neat at the airport and expensing it to Esquire. But I guess he can do that, you know. Um, our friend Adam Rappaport, who I spoke to before uh, joining you today, he's got a bugaboo, which I want to ask you about because we're seeing this. They're all over the airports in New York, but they're also prevalent in many other airports in the United States. The iPad menu. Uh, this is done in the name of obviously saving money because we're sort of automating all human behaviors now. But it's theoretically more efficient because you're able to order your meal and you don't have to deal with the uh, you know the unpleasantries of human interaction. I just find it disgusting. I just find iPads that other people have been touching, strangers have been touching. I mean, iPads are kind of gross enough. I mean, you know this with a kid, like, you know, they're pretty right. disgusting, germ-ridden things. And all of a sudden, like, there's just, you know, three dozen of them in a restaurant and in an airport. I just get grodied out by them completely. Yeah, I, I am absolutely against this ordering by iPad idea for a, a whole slew of reasons that you just touched on. First of all, it's it's if I'm going to uh, move off of my program and sit down and eat at a, at a rest at a airport restaurant, I want to talk to a human being because yeah. I it's it's going to be important to me if I'm making this decision on the fly that I I have that interaction to help kind of figure out my, my approach, my own my my strategy for um, what to order. And what's going to get there quick, and you know whether or not the calories are going to be put to, to good use. The iPad gives me none of that. The other thing that makes the iPad completely untenable is, you know, it is it assumes a kind of uh, uh, faculty with um, you know electronic devices. Can you imagine being in an airport with your mom and saying, "Hey, mom, I'm oh. going to run off to the bathroom." Yeah. Sit down and try yeah. and order, you know. Now, my mom has an iPad, but I, I you know, I think it, it, it's a little bit elitist is the way that I'm going to Yeah, yeah, say it, it is a little bit elitist. Uh, but let's not forget, nobody loves an iPad more than an old person. That's that. I think that's uh, that's become a fact of our technological lives. But I do feel like, you know, with this automation, in, 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 in a lot of airports now, you know, when you're going through the uh, checkout, they don't even have people there to check you out. You're just doing this on the honor system. And half the time... The iPads are broken somehow. You don't get it to work. You know, so I've I've resorted just to stealing. I've, I now steal food at the airport. I think that's I the, the best out. play. You you made the yeah. most salient point though. There is no scenario under which I want to touch something that other people are touching, uh -huh. and then as as the beginning to a meal. I'm just not. Yeah. 
yeah. into it any way, shape, or form. The the visceral experience of that is so anti what I'm into in terms of of uh, taking in some delicious calories that I I'm, I'm put off by it altogether. I will I would physically get up and leave that establishment. I would not begin the process if that's the only way I'm able to order. I think another amateur move in an airport is going to get breakfast at a non-breakfast place. You know, I think uh, of, uh, you know, you can get breakfast at the Palm at the uh, JFK airport. I don't want breakfast at the Palm. I want a steak if I'm going to the Palm. I don't want to get breakfast at Johnny Rockets. I don't want to get breakfast at a place that's just breakfast isn't a priority there. But that happens all the time in airports. You know, I've had breakfast at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville's, I'm not embarrassed to say. Uh, you know, well, hold on a second a now, because there are a couple places that fit fit uh, that are known for other things that also have breakfast. So let me throw a couple of names at you. I, I have been told, I haven't had the uh, experience of it, that the Shake Shack at JFK serves breakfast. They do. They do. And, 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 but it doesn't feel like a giant leap from okay. a hamburger to a breakfast sandwich. Okay? We're not talking about reinvention here. So I fi- find you know, Shake Shack... They're they're still in their wheelhouse with breakfast sandwiches, and you're right. They're, they're, that's a good option. And the same is true of Chick Fil A, for instance. Chick Fil A as well, but again, you're sort of staying in their you know their comfort zone. You're not going completely far afield. You know, you don't want eggs from people who aren't playing around with eggs that much, right? That's exactly the point. Now, look, the, one of the things that that. Uh, has started to become available at various airports is is mobile ordering. And there are a couple different services that I've seen where you can get into the airport, get seated at your gate, and then use the app to order to your to your gate uh, any of the food options that are available in the airport. How does that fit with your, your strategy? So this means that you could be like, you know, you're at B34 in O'Hare and you want something from another terminal and someone will come over and deliver it to you while you're sitting at the gate? That's the idea. They, they, the various places promise to deliver food from anywhere from 15 minutes to 45 minutes. I like this. You know, I like this because, you know, again, in try, you know, trying to find your way around airports, sometimes it gets confusing and it's really frustrating if you're in the wrong terminal for a place that you want to go to. So I have not had that experience, but I like it. I like it on the face of it. I worry a little bit about the people that are seated around you who might not be so into the idea of you having, you know, I don't know what, but a whole pizza in front of them. But uh, I like it in principle. Yeah, I like the principle of it too. I found this whole thing kind of appealing, and it costs you know between four bucks and eight bucks, depending on what airport and what service you're using and where you order from. The thing that that I find uh, challenging about it two elements. First of all, I would want to order from whatever that was kind of the most interesting food place in the airport, which seems like you're you're kind of taking on some competition that way. So, uh, you know, there's a whole list. Of, uh, every airport, it seems like, now has kind of a cornerstone restaurant or two by some kind of celebrity chef or somebody, um, yep. you know, locally known who does interesting food. Uh, it's, it's That's part of this whole... Um, change over the last decade where uh, you know well-known food impresarios are jumping into the airports and wanting to offer up their you know make their offerings available so I'd be worried I would want to order from that person right yeah yeah no I feel you know that's a good point because I do feel like in ways it's the airport is like the new Vegas you know we saw that generation in Vegas happen where all of a sudden every hot chef around the country had to have an establishment in Vegas and now it's taken hold in airports, and especially with local chefs, whatever city you're going into, there's this, you know, push to get the great local chef to have a satellite in the airport. Uh, so, you know, that's it's, it's absolutely true. And then you don't know what you're getting. If I'm in, uh, you know, f- well, Philly, I would know. I would get the, the cheesecake thing. There's a famous, I mean, cheesesteak. There's a famous, I think Tony Luke's, there's a Tony Luke's in the in the Philadelphia airport. That's not a good example. But uh, maybe like the uh, there's a seafood, there's a well-known seafood place, I think maybe in Houston. I'd be worried about yep. it, how it how it comes, how it looks, how it smells, because I, w- I won't know. I'll just order it from the menu. And then this point you've observed a couple times, I get on the airplane, I, I unveil it, I take, you know, I reveal it, 
and it has the effect of of swamping the airplane with you know <laughs> something that I'm going to find delicious, perhaps you know a, a, a crawfish etouffee, if you will. Um, but the rest of the airplane is going to be so mad at me. <laughs> No, it's really true, and that is the hazard, right? That you're going to just offend everybody as soon as you open it. I feel the best strategy is to eat it right away before you even pull out of the gate. Just, you know, finish that thing. If someone comes on with McDonald's onto the airplane, I want them to just get through that McDonald's. I don't want mid-flight McDonald's aroma just going through the, wafting through the entire uh, 737. That's right. It's, it, it, it's impossible torture. Well, Jason, uh, speaking of impossible torture, thank you very much for joining the House of Carbs today. Uh, like I say, this is going to be an ongoing topic of conversation. I'm sure we'll get a lot of belly sourcing from the hungry people in response to this, and I look forward to uh, the continuing conversation. Thank you very much, and I'll uh, hopefully run into you in an airport one of these days. That would be really fun. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. All right, once again, big thanks to Jason Gay. Before we jump on to food news with Juliet Littman, let's have a quick word from our good friends at Lisa. What if, my podcast pals, you could give back while you slept? Lisa, L-E-E-S-A, is an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. Driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. Lisa also plants a tree for every mattress sold, donates 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. Best of all, though, this is important when it comes to a mattress. Lisa's patented universal adaptive feel is designed for all types of sleepers and features three premium foam layers, including two-inch Avena foam top layer. That's A-V-E-N-A. That's a foam top layer for cooling and breathability. Two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief. And of course, you need the six-inch dense core support foam for durability and structure for sleepers of all sizes, including big fat guys like me. Available online in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Germany, or at the Lisa Dream Gallery in New York City, this 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box to your door so you can save a trip to the store. No wonder it's a Forbes Top 20 Startups to Watch. Friends, try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights. That's three months. 100 nights risk-free with free shipping always. Get 100 off when you go to leesa.com slash carbs. That's lisa.com slash carbs. $100 off. That's 100 free dollars, my friends. Lisa.com slash carbs. All right, friends, as always, on now to talk about some food news. The managing editor at The Ringer and host of the Bachelor Party and Jam Session podcast, one, the only, Miss Juliet Littman. Juliet, we continue to receive outstanding feedback <laughs> from the American people on the drink you gave them. You know, this was the second episode of House of Carbs. You gave them the Juliet uh, we continue to get just uh, unbelievable reaction from from America. It honestly makes me very. Let's happy. Let's tell the people how how many Juliets have you? Did you have this weekend? This weekend I had two. I think. Yeah. Okay, that's a that's a that's, modest number. Yeah, it's good. I had some wine too. It's summer. It's oh, mix, good. Mixing okay. it up a it little is. bit. You know. That's right. But you know, it it makes me really happy whenever people tweet it at me. I I don't know. I just I love it. Um, well, in case you, you forgot, you, it's a vodka soda with a splash of pineapple and never Tito's vodka. You beat me to the punch. I was just going to ask. We had to give the people the ingredients. <laughs> uh, two, two, two sounds like the right number because I know you're you're busy today. Are we allowed to tell the hungry people about the Ringer's uh, uh, platform migration? Yeah, I think so. All right, tell the tell the people. We're moving to a new platform. Um, we're moving to Chorus, which is owned by Vox Media, and we're kind of like having a, a relaunch, sort of like um, 
a second opening, I guess, or something like that. It's opening like a sec- it's like opening a second location. Like after your first one's gone really well and you're like, "Oh, this is really popular here in New York. I think I'll open one in DC." It's kind of it's kind of like what's happening, except it will only be one website. It's more like, you know, like a like kind of just like a, a nice fresh start. I'm pretty psyched about it. So, uh tomorrow, Tuesday, August 8th, we'll be, we'll have a new look on the ringer.com. I hope everyone likes it. I can't wait. I'm psyched for it. All right, let's talk about some food news. Let's do it, House. First, I want to tell you about a restaurant in Brooklyn, just like I was mentioning. My hypothetical seeped into my our real-life food news. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a restaurant in Brooklyn called Belly, which is being billed as a bacon omakase. Uh, and it's a tasting menu here. Less about bacon itself than more about pork belly, cured and uncured. And it's all given a strong Korean accent. So there is a long menu. It's nine courses for four, nine courses, $45. I think that's a really good deal, first of all. Me too. I'm in. Sign me up. Yeah. It's 20 seats at a bar and it's a communal table. I love that. I'm really into bar seating these days. Uh, and among the dishes, there's bacon carpaccio, bacon mm. sushi seared tableside, served over rice, pork oh. jowl with chive kimchi, a chunk of pork belly glazed with um, gochujang. Pork belly schnitzel with forceful Korean mustard. I don't know what forceful Korean mustard is, but I'm very intrigued. And the finale is a sweet kimchi ice donut served with bacon fat whipped cream. That sounds incredible. That whole thing sounds incredible. Here's my concern. Okay. That doesn't sound like enough seats for the for the for the volume of the the, the masses that are going to show up at the front door of this joint. I know. Well, that's why they're doing their their like initial launch because they want to see how it goes, and then when they're ready to scale up, they'll they'll reconsider. Okay, well that's that that's reassuring. <laughs> I feel like we need to get there immediately. When are you in New York next? Um, funny you should ask. I'm there next week. Oh my God, is that true? Yes, it is. <laughs> should I go? <laughs> I might have to come to New York next week. That's so that's so soon. It's right on time for this delicious bacon restaurant i know it sounds really good i i also like really love bacon i was thinking about it i am not over bacon i think some would say it's been overexposed but i do not agree like really good solid foods there's just you can't can't ever have too much of them well and the thing about this it's not um just a pure bacon thing you know uh the crispy version put, wrapped up nine different ways it's it's pork belly it's which means it can be sliced it can be chunked it can be you know it can be delivered the, the delivery mechanism um has a has n- not an infinite number of varieties and options but a, a good number i know there's there's a lot going on here actually i just wanted to ask you what you think about the kimchi iced donut served with bacon fat whipped cream because the bacon fat whipped cream i'm in but i don't know about kimchi iced donut like i like my donuts to be really sweet so that's going to be a savory donut. Yes. Uh, that's what I'm, my, my, I'm, I'm preparing my palate. And what I tell myself when I walk into um, a, a meal like that, a, a, a dish like that, I say to myself, it says donut. That's not a donut. It's some other thing that I'm going right. to eat. It's going to be a cake-like thing to me, um, you know, a delicious kind of a, a bread, you know, a, kind of a Swedish, uh, sourish kind of bread. That's, how, that's what I say to myself in my head about uh, as I prepare my, my tongue and my taste buds for that experience. Um, while we're on the topic of donuts, can I just tell you about something I had over the weekend that was really good? Oh, please. <laughs> I had a um, a churro ice cream sandwich. So it was like uh, like a cinnamon ice cream, and the two like cookies were churros, like kind of like flat, and it was all cinnamony, and it was incredible. It was just it's, so good. <laughs> it's the only way that I want to eat churros. I never. I'm not a person that eats churros by dipping them into the whatever sauce is offered next to them. I only want ice cream with churros. So what you've just described is my perfect churro delivery mechanism it was so good it was it was also like like a restaurant dessert that's what kind of made me think of it like that's sort of like the innovation and the general donut space that's happening in restaurants these days it was so good you could go i know you're coming to la so it was at this place toco madero and it was so excellent i can't even tell you i've I've been thinking about it ever since i had it well it sounds like it's a one a day thing i'll get there (laughs) i'm not going to get there in time they're not going to be open when i get in tuesday night but wednesday thursday friday you're in bang boom you got it. One um, a day. Okay. Next piece of news for you. Tell me. There's an app called Food Faves, and it's kind of like Tinder for food when you're hungry. So the idea is that you open it, and it shows you, like, different kinds of foods. Like, and do you want the? And you say, like, are you craving this? Yes or no? And you swipe left or, or right. 
and based on your swipes, it recommends what you should get for lunch and it finds a restaurant for you. So I, I like the idea of it. What I wonder is, am I ever arriving at a food decision moment where I just am so out of touch with what I'm in the mood for that I need the app to help, you know, um, drive my, my, my taste, to drive my, my uh, how I'm going to sate my desire? Um, I'm concerned for them because I think they have really poor branding. I read about this on Food Beast. And then oh. I Googled it to get more information. And there's very little out there. It, it, the first thing you Google when you Google like Food Faves app, you don't even get like the iTunes page to download the app. So I'm just concerned that they haven't oh. really positioned themselves for success. Uh-huh. So, just the, the staying power it may not be strong. <laughs> I do think it's an interesting idea, though. But I kind of agree with you. Usually, I don't know. Usually um, it's hard to like narrow it down from choices. I feel like when you have a craving, it's just sort of like – there, there's not like a, a formula or an algorithm to satiating it. It's just sort of like you have to go with your gut. So what I wonder is, go with your gut. That's a good one. What I, what I wonder is, now if I had a taste for fettuccine Alfredo, mm-hmm. could they show me six different fettuccine Alfredos uh, at restaurants within some kind of uh, you know radius from where I'm where I'm located? Oh, interesting. And, and let me, and if they could both present a picture and a listing of the ingredients, because not every single person does fettuccine Alfredo the same. Everybody what, likes to put their little spin. What's on the it. right way to do it? Like, what's your preferred way? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think there is a right way. Um, you know, the basic ingredients are are the are the, the pasta, the cheese, you know, the the heavy cream, yeah. you know, salt and pepper. I mean, it's not. Uh, a rocket science kind of, of of dish, but I, you know, some sometimes you can get chicken in it. Sometimes you might want to put a little pancetta in. There's a veg you can get a vegetarian version. Obviously, I just want to know. You know, I'd like to see a little bit of information and a picture that shows that restaurant's best foot forward for the fettuccine alfredo. Do you think this app can do that? No, I don't. <laughs> well, then this app isn't helping me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, I, this is a really unintentional plug for a friend of mine, but um, the Infatuation, this which is like a restaurant reviews website, it's like Zagat's for Millennials. They also have an app called TextRex where you can like text them where you are and they'll send you back recommendations of like good restaurants nearby. And I, so I do think that like what you're asking for could be possible. Like people are making moves in, in this space. But I don't know if, if your exact app is there. So maybe it's a business opportunity. Well, look, uh, you're friends with the guys at Infatuation. Let's have them on yeah. and let's ask. Yeah, we I can mean, talk hey, about Textrex. Good idea. <laughs> folks, let's 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 have this conversation. Let's let's try and do some business together here. And I like very much, I've heard I know of the infatuation and hashtag eats. Yeah, five uh, E's. You know, that whole idea of a curated because I will tell you, I'm not sure if you've get 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 a lot of this. My um Twitter stream ever since the show started up here is like, hey house, I'm going to be in in uh, Paducah, wherever Paducah is. Kansas? Kansas. Tell me the best place to eat. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, I've never been to Paducah. I like food, but I can't tell you anything about the food in Paducah. I think the infatuation was created to fill this need. Now, I don't know if uh, there's an eats in Paducah, but that's what the infatuation exists for. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like All right. wh- where you are. I don't know if they've, they've made it to Kansas yet, but who knows? Maybe one day. Global domination for them could be on the way. Exactly. Um, okay. One more for you, House. This one Tell I me. have a lot of controversial feelings about. So there's a bagel place on Staten Island. Have you ever been there? Staten Island. I have been there. Yes. You have? Really? For what? I have. I don't. I can't recall. Okay. I can't tell you. The it's best. not because I don't want to tell you. I just know that I've been, <laughs> and I don't remember why. I've been like three times, not including driving through, like from New Jersey, basically. Um, yeah. But I would say to me, it's most famous for the wonderful episode of True Life. I'm a Staten Island girl. It's one of my, one of my faves. <laughs> um, there's, okay. There's a place called Bagels R Us, like Toys R Us, but bagels, no relation to the toy store chain, and they are truly innovators in the bagel space. Um, they are always doing like they're kind of like before the cronut came along they were doing this kind of thing with bagels and they've been around for yeah. 20 years and now they have a new cereal bagel hybrid which combines um sugary bagel sugary cereals and savory bagels so like you can get a bagel that has fruity pebbles in it or lucky charms or cookie crisp uh 
And they make the bagels by mixing the cereal into the dough and then they cook it. So it's like a very natural hybrid comes comes from the beginning. And I would say one of the biggest knocks against it is it doesn't really look that good to me. I'm just like, do I want Fruity Pebbles swirls in my bagel? But I don't know. They're, they're, they're on to something here, I think. But I'm such a bagel purist that it's hard for me to talk about this without bias. So I'm just kind of wondering where you are with bagels. Like if you really love them where they stack up in the breakfast sandwich uh, hierarchy for you. Like, like I just want to know everything you think about bagels. So I, I adore bagels. I, I uh, grew up, you know, as a young person making uh, bagel sandwiches. I did that but here in, in, the, in the DMV. I, it, it followed me up to uh, New England when I went to college. The bagel was a crucial part of my um, youthful eating experience. And it was the one thing I felt like I, I couldn't mess up. I would take like sandwich meat and create massive uh, sandwiches. And the bagel was always up to the task in terms of holding whatever quantity and variety of items that I would want to put in between the two halves. So I, I, I grew up loving the bagel. I have to tell you, as I've grown older, uh, I find that I have less time in my day for breakfast. I'm not a big breakfast guy. So the bagel now to me is a treat. It ends up being something that's like kind of once a month. And I only want it one way now, Juliet. I only want it with locks and with capers and with uh, maybe a small slice of onion with a nice tomato and with cream cheese. That's the only way I want my bagel. I kind of feel the same way. Like I... I love scallion cream cheese. That's my preferred schmear. And Wonderful. Like a really good bagel with a good schmear. It's just like a classic item. It's sort of like, why do you need to put so much crap on pizza? Just have like a perfect, great slice of pizza. I, I don't right. know. I feel, I don't, um, but it's also like, I just feel like as as um, as a New Yorker to have such strong feelings about bagels and pizza, it's like such a cliche that I, I don't want to lean into it too hard. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, you know, D- D.C. is finally uh, – there's a, a wonderful purveyor of bagels here called Bullfrog Bagels. Um, and they are the closest that I've experienced in all of my years here in the DMV to the – you know, replicating the New York uh, uh, vibe. Um, so I'm always happy. And they've, they've really uh, made a good showing around a whole variety of venues here in D.C. So you can go to a restaurant and the restaurant will feature – Bullfrog bagels. Oh, um, love it! So it's always a nice thing. But I understand where you're coming from. It's 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 kind of the most important part. The quality of the bagel is the thing that drives that yeah. wonderful uh, meal. And it's uh, you can't be disappointed with it because if you're only having it once a month or so, it only fits my lifestyle once a month. It's got to be wonderful. I, I will say, there are not good bagels in California. There's like uh, that's not true. There's like there's like three places in LA where I'm like, yes, they have good bagels, but it's just really. They don't understand it out here. It's just like it has, for some reason everything has traversed the continent except for like the secret sauce for bagels. I don't really get it, but like there's really only three spots in LA that I'm willing to say like yes, this is good. It's worth going out of your way for. It's worth eating. Like I- well, there's no no question that the water has an impact on it, and and I guess you can't import New York water to California. It doesn't really sound cost effective. And I'm not sure what the secret is with the bullfrog guys here in D.C. I might have to ask them. I might have to. We might have to come on House of Cards. Oh, for I would. I would little, love a good like bagel breakdown. That would be awesome. Yeah, bagel breakdown. That that could be fun. Yeah, what um, a great idea. Well, speaking of great idea, I think Bagels R Us is onto something. This bagel with this cereal is not for me, and I don't think it's for you either. No. And I don't think we're the in- intended audience, to be honest with you. I know. I guess that's true. Also, I think since it's in Staten Island, there's so many like bagel competitors and other like classic bagel options that it's like almost by necessity you have to innovate or you have to like push the envelope you know so i respect i respect their business hustle yeah you meet me too much respect bagels are us probably not going to enjoy the the sugary cereal bagel no i don't think so i don't think so love you juliet hope to see you this week um you won't but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) maybe in new york next week then i'm going out of town yeah maybe next week (laughs) All right, there Talk we go. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right, big thanks to Juliet. As always, before we jump in to a delicious discussion of deep dish pizza with Robert Mays of The Ringer, let's have a word from our friends at Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? 
Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Folks, finding great talent can be tough. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to the office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Friends, find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, friends, listeners to House of Carbs can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free, F-R-E-E. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-A-R-B-S. Try it for free, friends. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. And now, our good pal, Robert Mays. As promised, we're, we are having a weekly chat with friends and family, the Ringer Universe. This week, another non-Los Angeles guest to talk about non-Los Angeles food. We've been criticized a little bit because we've been a little L.A. heavy so far. This week, Robert Mays, Chicago's native son, staff writer for The Ringer, on the NFL beat, co-host of The Ringer NFL show, my brother Mays, how are you? I'm good, buddy. I am in Bourbon A, Illinois, on the it, campus of Olivet Nazarene University uh, at Bears training camp. So Yeah, Bears training camp, like legitimately doing Chicago, the, the essence of Chicago things. I am right here watching the Bears practice from my vantage point. All right, so we have Mays on this week to help us get to the bottom of the best Chicago deep dish pizza places. Now, the, the podfather himself, Bill Simmons, was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and he put out on the Instagram a picture of a deep dish pie from Lou Malnati's, and, and he uh, put in the caption, the Simmons and I were together in Chicago a couple years ago, and I ate nearly every slice of a delicious pepperoni at, um, at Malnati's, but it generated a lot of intrigue and furor because people were not um, thrilled with the choice of Malnati's as the representation, the representative for the Chicago deep dish. So we had to go right to the source, Chicago's native son, uh, Baby Bear Maze, to help us break down Chicago deep dish. I think that's an unfair criticism. I mean, it, it's a chain, yes. And if you want to go for a just down-home Chicago spot, it's not Lou Malnati's just because there are so many of them. It's bigger. But in terms of representative of Chicago deep dish, I think it is representative. It's just not necessarily the most authentic if you're looking for a local joint. So I feel like that is kind of misguided with people being upset. So before we, we dive in and start going through the rankings, let's first tackle this, uh, you know, the snobbery that I'm sure you encounter all the time. There is this, this criticism of, of, of deep dish in general, Chicago deep dish, as as it's overblown, it's a it's like a casserole. It's a monstrosity. It doesn't compare to what people conventionally think about as pizza. Help, help set the eating public straight, Mace. I feel like when people are saying that, they're looking at a specific type of Chicago deep dish. And if you're looking at like stuffed pizza, like Giordano's or Nancy's, that's that casserole type thing. It's literally based on an Italian cake those stuffed pizzas. And those are my least favorite because they're so heavy. If you pick up a Giordano's pizza and you're not ready for it, you could throw your back out. I mean, that's not a joke. So those things, I do feel like they're harder to tackle. But if you go eat at a Lou Malnati's or a Paisano's or a place that's a little more Chicago-style deep dish, not stuffed, if you eat at Lou Malnati's, there's a crunch to that crust. It's not that thick. It's just a little deeper than most pizzas are. So when people are talking about that casserole-type pizza, it's a specific type of deep dish. Deep dish isn't the same across the board. There's several different types of it. 
Oh, this is interesting. Now, I, I always, I thought I'm in Chicago. There's only one way to do this. We, we were at Malnati's and I, I, we must have gotten the stuffed version. Uh, help me, help, help, help us understand some of the, uh, the variations then. Well, you got, you probably got regular deep dish at Malnati's. But at, at Lou Malnati's, you have that butter crust that's a little crunchy on the outside, yes. right? Yes. So that yes. crunch goes all the way through. And for me in deep dish, it's all about texture. And I think that with Giordano's or Nancy's, that stuffed kind, you get a ton of cheese, and it really is overwhelming with the toppings, which I like cheese. Don't get me wrong. I'm a cheese supporter. But I need a little bit of difference in the textures in what I'm eating. So with Malnati's, you have the crunch with the crust, which I really like. You have the kind of tomato-heavy sauce. It's not as thin. It's like chunky tomato. And then if you go to a place like Pequod's, which is the one that – I had last night, it's delicious, people love it. You get this caramelized crust on the outside, so you get some crunch there. I think that's why I don't like Giordano's and Nancy's as much, because there's no difference in texture. It's just too full of the same stuff. So there really huh. is, it goes across the board. It depends on what you like. That's, 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 that's very interesting. Now, is it fair uh, to go ahead and give a ranking, or is it better to just talk about you, kind of your preferences um, or is there, do, do Chicagoans have a standard order of, of, of preference when it comes to these places? I think people like Pequod's a lot and that's the local spot and it's, it's preference is important here because they are so different. Like if you go to Malnati's, it's that crunchy crust. It's pretty standard outside of that. The sausage is really good there. I like the sauce, but at Pequod's you got that caramelized crust on the outside. So what you're eating there is like a really good focaccia almost that's the oh. material on that's that makes up the actual crust and then you get to the back of the slices and it's literally caramelized cheese all along the outside so there's this softness with the crunch that's amazing and so that's what you're looking at that and Malnati's are incredibly different pizza experiences so I feel like people like Pequod's better but and that would be higher in a ranking but it's not necessarily apples to apples so if I'm if I'm a person and I get this sometimes on the Twitter and you 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 probably get it a fair amount as well. I'm coming to Chicago. I've never had any kind of Chicago style pizza. Where are you going to send me? I would probably say go to Pequod just because it's a one single local place and I like it the best. I enjoy that combination of the softness plus the crunch. And the thing about Pequod's is they know that until you get to the back of the slice it's pretty homogenous in terms of the texture, so they just load on the toppings. I got a pepperoni last night. There is not a single bite where you're not just crunching into at least two or three slices of pepperoni. They know what they're doing. It, it, they and do the not crust, skimp you on that stuff. The crust can stand up to it. It can, it can hold it, huh? Well, the, the crust is really thick. It really is like a thicker focaccia bread, but the, the moisture is trapped in so much by everything else that the crust stays soft, but it doesn't get weighed down it's pretty impressive it's also a thin layer of cheese which people don't like as much i do i don't need a ton of cheese on my deep dish it's more about the toppings the crunch everything else than it is a lot a load of cheese that's why stuffed isn't my favorite all right now peak is peak watch downtown it's on clybourne and lincoln park so i mean you can get there from the loop in 15 minutes at the most in a car all right get, let's give the people one or two more options so the Pequod's I like, I like Lumalnati's. I, I go to Lumalnati's all the time for deep dish pizza because I love the butter crust. And they have a ton of locations. The one I go to is on State uh, in River North, pretty much right there by what people call the Viagra Triangle where all the steakhouses are. And then another spot that, that I really like that I just tried for the that's, first time. That's my angle. The Viagra Triangle is my spot. Yeah. <laughs> that's where like Gibson's and Tavern on Rush and all the steakhouses are. So you get a lot of uh, older gentlemen with money to throw around that like having a martini or six at places like that. I'm that and guy. And then the other spot, <laughs> the spot I tried recently that I really like is this place called La Briola on the Mag Mile on Michigan Avenue. And it's very similar to Pequod's in the sense that it's got that focaccia type crust with the crunchy caramelized element on the back end. And I found that's my favorite combination of stuff when it comes to deep dish. How do you spell that? How do you spell that? Labriola. L-A-B-R-I-O-L-A. Yeah, I would get that it so wrong fantastic. and get in trouble. <laughs> it is right there on 
like where the, the biggest, like the stretch in Chicago, where that right down Michigan Avenue, it's right by the river. I mean, it is tourist central, but it's a spot that's kind of hidden in plain sight in that way. You, know, you wouldn't necessarily think Michigan Avenue is where you're going for really good deep dish pizza, but it is. So there you go. There's an end of a segment at Bears practice. We're getting real native sounds here. Well, listen, I, I, let, let's do, I know you're right in the middle of getting ready for NFL season. You're hot and heavy. You're at Bears camp. Give the people, uh, you know, 30 seconds on what you're working on right now. Doing a couple different things. Kevin Clark and I are going through our 33 big questions about the NFL season. You can check that out on the Ringer NFL show every Tuesday and Friday. Awesome. Uh, we're at Patriots week this week at the Ringer. I mean, it's been a decade what? since the 07 Patriots. We're a decade and a half for the, the Patriots dynasty. We're doing a ton of stuff about that. And, I've had uh, enough of the Patriots, yeah. Maze. Sorry, buddy. I, trust me, we pitched 25 Patriot stories before the season, so it's like, yeah, we might as well do a week. There's no reason not to. Yeah, there's, there's a hundred reasons not to. They're cheaters. <laughs> you can take that up with Simmons. That's fine with me. <laughs> Robert Mays, thank you for coming on the House of Carbs. We will continue this conversation. We only wanted to, to you know, scratch the surface a little bit there with the Chicago food scene. We have a whole Midwest thing. It'll be appropriate, I think, for football season. We'll have you back on. We'll talk about a couple more delicious food items out there in what people call flyover country. I call it fly-into country because it's wonderful food eating in the Midwest. Thank you for joining us. Of course, buddy. If you don't come here for, to eat, you're missing out. We're going to do it to it, my brother. Thank you. Thanks, bud. All right, podcast friends, thanks again for another wonderful episode of House of Carbs. We appreciate the listen. House of Carbs, of course, is part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Please keep up all the outstanding belly sourcing. We love the feedback. Please email us at houseofcarbsfans at gmail.com. And make sure to give us a review on iTunes, iTunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's stay hungry out there.